Welcome to Done and Done. I'm Alicia, your hostess on this podcast journey, All Things Dominic Dunn, where nothing is linear and everything is connected. And a sincere thank you for joining us today as we pick up our investigation into the life and death of Marilyn Monroe. We have spent a little time getting to uh, know Jack Kennedy and his family over the last few weeks, learned a little bit about Jacqueline Kennedy as well, a whole follow-up just posted on our Patreon page about her, but today we're refocusing our mirror ball back to Marilyn. We left in our last Marilyn episode, end of 1954, early 1955, with things really wonderful for Marilyn. She's in New York City, the greatest city in the world, with a cat, awaiting a divorce from Joe DiMaggio, as well as starting a production company with Milton Green. Marilyn's taking classes at the actor's studio and private classes as well. Things are really looking good for our Marilyn. The canvas of time we're going to cover in this episode will take us through the many highs and many lows of Marilyn from the years 1955 to 1959. There will be another marriage. There will be some career ups and downs. There will be a few affairs. Let's investigate. open our story today in January 1955 with Marilyn Monroe battling with the studio, which is honestly not looked upon very well, not just by the studios themselves, but the public too. Marilyn is getting heaps of bad press and the journalistic wave of support that Marilyn once had has now turned, even to the point where Poor Marilyn is parodied by Jane Mansfield in Will Success Spoil Rock Hunter. Jane Mansfield plays this dumb, blonde actress who wants to open her own production company. It's not even very well hidden what they are alluding to there, but Marilyn, taking classes at the actor's studio, getting close to both Lee and Paula Strasberg, so much that at this time, Marilyn will replace her current acting coach, Natasha Lydas. And hey, the divorce is underway from Joe DiMaggio. The two have split up. Remember the very bad breakup over the pre-filming of the seven-year itch where Joe is watching the hoopla in the middle of the night? But the thing is, Marilyn never really quit seeing Joe DiMaggio. They may be divorced, but their contact and continued closeness to a certain extent will always stay as a touchstone. Marilyn at this point will also date Marlon Brando, as well as in earnest begin her affair with Jack Kennedy. Quoting here from James Spada, from The Man Who Kept the Secrets, again about Peter Lawford. Marilyn told Slatzer that she and Jack Kennedy didn't get together until after her divorce from DiMaggio early in 1955. She began to spend a good deal of time in New York during this period, and occasionally she and Jack would meet. A few months after the party at Feldman's, Jack was hospitalized for surgery to alleviate a chronic back problem. Visitors to his room were amused by a color poster of Marilyn Monroe he had taped to the wall, in which she wore blue shorts and stood with her legs spread widely apart. 
Kennedy had hung the poster upside down. Yikes, right? So Marilyn Monroe and Jack have begun his new marriage and honeymoon fish be damned. But Marilyn Monroe is doing her thing. In April of 1955, she will be interviewed on Person to Person with Edward R. Murrow. This interview takes place in the Connecticut farm of Milton Green and his wife. There's a little bit of time spent with Milton in the beginning in his photography studio. And truly, Milton Green captures some wonderful images of Marilyn Monroe. You can tell that there is a trust and intimacy between the two of them even with a subject that the camera clearly adores. Marilyn's special, for as many people as Milton Green photographs, Ava Gardner, Grace Kelly, Janet Lee, Tony Curtis, Marlena Daytrick, there is something so special about the relationship that Milton and Marilyn have and how it is portrayed in his images of her. The Connecticut farm where the filming is happening is 150 years old, It's about an hour away from Manhattan, 11 acres, 16 rooms, and Marilyn really likes spending time there with Milton and his wife and their child. It is safe and easy for her. Marilyn, in her portion of this interview with Edward R. Murrow, does have a few things to reveal. When asked about what kind of magazine cover would she like to be on, Marilyn answers the Ladies' Home Journal. She hasn't been on the cover of that one. She talks a little bit about how she and Milton Green met and a bit about Marilyn Monroe Productions. This again is in April of 1955 and their production company has been announced. They say they've received some interest in a few offers, both in TV and theater, in Europe and in the States. Some movies, some books, some real estate. There are a few things that they have in mind, but nothing definitive. Murrow will ask, What's the basic reason for wanting to do this? And Marilyn will reply to help contribute to make good pictures. Tired of playing in the same kind of roles? She doesn't object to musicals or comedies, but she'd like to do dramatic parts too. Here, Marilyn will name drop both John Huston and Billy Wilder. We get now to the beginning of the summer of 1955 when the billboard and all the press comes out for the seven-year itch. Now remember back September 1954, just less than a year ago, 5,000 New Yorkers show up at 3 a.m. to watch a scene from this movie being filmed on the southwest corner of 52nd Street and Lexington Avenue. It's a cold, dark night. Cast of thousands, 5,000 people, including Joe DiMaggio, brought by his big buddy Walter Winchell, That is what is going to bust up the Marilyn Monroe-Joe DiMaggio pairing. So here, September 1955, a few months later, when the publicity is going up, there is this amazing clip of New York City dwellers reacting to this 52-foot cutout of this subway scene. Clips of random people in the street kind of watching when the cutout appears on the theater, and every one of them has an incredibly different reaction. Again, Mirrorball. I'll show you every version of yourself tonight. Strong perceptions by all. Really kind of incredible to watch. Something else kind of neat happens in the summer of 1955 with a little bit of a connected thread. This time from future infamous star to be Joan Collins, 
and her intersection with Marilyn Monroe, which happens this particular year. See, Joan Collins, her father has warned her about bad men, especially as she is first auditioning for roles back in England. But it is this year, this summer, 1955, that Joan Collins gets to Hollywood and will tell of literally being accosted by two Hollywood megastars when she attends her first party. Joan will not reveal who these men were, but we'll talk about being humiliated by them when the two of these men corner her and pull her top down at this party. It is shortly after this that Marilyn Monroe and Joan Collins meet. It is at a party at Gene Kelly's home, and Joan Collins has been cast in a film that was originally slated for Marilyn Monroe, but Marilyn had been deemed too old for the part. This connects into our investigation from many, many moons ago. This film is The Girl in the Red Velvet Swing about Evelyn Nesbitt and Stanford White. At this party at Gene Kelly's home, Marilyn and Joan begin to talk, and Marilyn will tell Joan to watch out for the wolves in Hollywood, honey. And Joan Collins is like, I know what's up. I've been in this scene in London. This isn't anything new, and Marilyn Monroe will say, not the power bosses, honey. If they don't get what they want, they will drop your contract. They've done it to lots of gals. At this time, Joan Collins is being looked at for Cleopatra. She's tested several times for the part, but every time she's tested, she's also getting propositioned by the, how did Marilyn call them, power bosses involved in the project wanting to make the picture, and Joan Collins isn't playing the game. Every time she'll say, that sounds like a great idea, let's call my agent. But Joan Collins, in her recollection, will say that she was shocked about Marilyn Monroe. When I first heard what she'd been through, just simply devastating. I do kind of love there's a little camaraderie between the two stars here. Also, at this time, Joan Collins is dating soon-to-be heartthrob Warren Beatty. Hold on to that one. We will follow up on his story one day as it concerns Natalie Wood, grand friend of Dominic and Lenny's. Marilyn Monroe in 1955 will also begin seeing next future husband Arthur Miller. Remember, Marilyn and Arthur Miller had met many moons ago. They danced all night back in 1951 when Arthur and Elia Kazan consoled her on the movie set. Remember, Arthur Miller leaves and goes back to his wife because he says he feels a sense of danger around Marilyn. Well, 1955, welcome to danger time, Arthur Miller. See, Arthur Miller married his first wife back in 1940. They have two kids born during the decade of the 1940s. Arthur has great success in his field through this time, but less, I think, success within the marriage. When Marilyn and Arthur met all the way back in 51, they've stayed in contact. And again, Arthur Miller, American Jewish playwright, he's called the new Shakespeare. Marilyn Monroe may also be looking to redefine herself again, always changing herself to fit into something new, something definable, something outside of herself. By October 1955, Marilyn and Arthur are carrying on a pretty serious affair. Arthur is 
making the bold move about maybe thinking about maybe separating from his wife after 15 years. Also, Arthur Miller is being investigated by the FBI for being a communist. So Marilyn's studio is a little furious about that, saying that she has to end this with Miller. Marilyn, at this point, will get her own personal FBI file. They're on to her from this point. By the end of 1955, though, Marilyn Monroe Productions has signed a new deal with Fox to make four films in the next seven years. And Marilyn here really does come out on top. She gets some of the benefits that she's looking to land, such as the ability to choose her own projects, her directors, her cinematographers. She has much more control within her standing at 20th Century Fox. But also, in this bargain, she's also given the right to make one film with her Marilyn Monroe Productions for every film she completes for 20th Century Fox. So good for her. Looks like that battle is won. That gets us through 1955. It's a fantastic place to take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. See you on the flip. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So we arrive back here in 1956, which begins, this year does, with the filming of Bus Stop. This is Marilyn Monroe's first project for 20th Century Fox, and Arthur Miller now is just becoming desperate. He's calling Marilyn every day. He is finally now looking to attain a quickie divorce in Reno to make the romance with Marilyn a real thing. Love is in the air, I suppose, in June of 1956 is a pretty big month for a few different reasons. Specifically, the date of June 21st. Bringing in something a little bit from Truman Capote here. I love the connections that you find. Truman Capote on June 21st, 1956 will write to Cecil Beaton. Writing by the time you get this, Marilyn M. will have married Arthur Miller saw them the other night both looking, suffused with a sexual glow. But can't help feeling this little episode is called Death of a Playwright. She is greatly excited about going to London. Because see, Arthur Miller and Marilyn Monroe are going to go to London to film her next project for Marilyn Monroe Pictures, The Prince and the Showgirl. This film will co-star the legendary... Laurence Olivier, who will also direct the film. See, in preparation to get to London, Arthur Miller needs to get his passport renewed for his trip, which gives the House of Un-American Activities Committee the leeway to pull Arthur Miller in for questioning, which really, the House for Un-American Activities have had their eye on Arthur Miller for many, many years now. Marilyn Monroe will attend this hearing with Arthur as well. This also takes place on June 21st of 1956. The wedding between Marilyn and Arthur will take place June 29th, a scant week after this hearing, which will eventually get Arthur Miller slung up on contempt of Congress charges in 1957, 
as well as not having a passport and a fine of $500 or 30 days in jail. This is again the following year in 1957, but this ruling was eventually overturned. And we're here for Marilyn, who's the real star of the show. Just don't tell Arthur Miller that. In July, Arthur and Marilyn will leave for London to begin the filming of The Prince and the Showgirl. And, well, it doesn't go great. Lawrence Olivier will call Marilyn Monroe at this time a divided person. He'll say she was most enchanting upon first meeting, says it's impossible not to fall in love with her. She was witty and ravishingly lovely, which Lawrence Olivier would know all about. He's married to Vivian Lee, another quite ravishing, lovely lady, and also a bit of a divided person as well. But in Lawrence's estimation, filming is a disaster. Marilyn is chronically late, and Olivier is kind of a real actor. He doesn't quite know how to play off scenes with her. The movie will complete on time and within budget, but it's not a great experience for anyone. Olivier, again directing the film, will fully admit that I did not make the best out of her. Other directors did better. But Marilyn and Olivier truly are oil and water. She has many insecurities. She begins to feel persecuted through the filming. And her new husband, who she is banking everything on, is not really backing her up. Marilyn's solution is a lot of barbiturates and champagne. It is also during this time that Marilyn Monroe will read a segment of Arthur Miller's diary. This is terrible. It's not flattering at all to his new bride, what Arthur Miller has written. Miller will write about how needy Marilyn is. He will question his own wisdom in marrying her, saying he is wholly unprepared to handle the crippling insecurities of his new bride, which does not make his new bride feel any more secure. Fun fact here. It is on this trip overseas to London that Marilyn Monroe will meet Queen Elizabeth II. So The Prince and the Showgirl comes out, and it's kind of a flop, but this is going to give Arthur Miller the gall to suggest that he become Marilyn's new manager instead of Milton Green. You need to cut everyone else out of your life, which to me sounds a little bit like gaslighting, but the flop of the film and Arthur will push Marilyn and kind of into a corner where Arthur really will force her to dissolve her partnership with Milton Green so he can be her new liaison into the biz. January 1957, the couple will return to the States where they split their time between Manhattan and a farm in Connecticut where they have a basset hound named Hugo, a horse named Ebony, and a parakeet named Butch. I do want you to note here that Marilyn Monroe has converted to Judaism in order to be closer to her husband, closer to his parents as well. She is wanting to be involved with his children. She's really trying to stitch this family idea thing together, moving into playing the role of a domesticated wife, cooking, cleaning, saying she wants to leave Hollywood far behind her. The late 1950s are not great writing years for Arthur Miller, but the couple between the two of them are 
finding a way to settle into something, but the good times do not last. The following summer, Marilyn will conceive a child, desperate to begin her life as a mother. Sadly, Marilyn will miscarry at six weeks. This event will trigger a terribly unhappy period for her. Marilyn is taking drugs to go to sleep. She's drinking when she's awake. Marilyn will begin to see an analyst, along with sleeping much of the day. Her fantasy life will have her thinking again about Joe DiMaggio, and Arthur Miller cannot cope with any of this, so he kind of goes out of the picture. It is a second miscarriage, and this time Marilyn will be alone and loses track of whatever she's taking, falling into a coma. Marilyn is found by a maid who calls the doctor, which will prompt the return of Arthur Miller, but... I don't know if this is quite a good thing, because when things get rough with Arthur Miller, Marilyn will continue to see Jack Kennedy throughout the late 1950s. Their affair does not end. When Marilyn and Arthur fight, Marilyn would drive into Manhattan to stay at her East 57th Street apartment, and if Jack was in town, she would meet him in his suite at the Carlisle Hotel. I want to connect back here to Peter Lawford for just a moment, because by 1959, Peter Lawford is calling his friend Fred Otosh again. We mentioned Fred many episodes ago, the private detective who has arranged things for Peter helpfully in the past, and Fred Otosh will be very much involved in understanding the death of Marilyn Monroe. But Peter Lawford, in 1959, calls Fred Otosh to borrow his bugging equipment for telephones. Fred assumes at this point that Patricia Kennedy is cheating on Peter Lawford and will go ahead and help him out. But again, 1959, Jack Kennedy is about to run for president, and this is only the beginning of the many shady parties being involved and all up into Marilyn Monroe's business from now to the end of her life and, well, beyond, too. Here in this episode, we can finally connect Dominic Dunn into the scene. Here, Dunn, we've talked about it, will recall the fun and the glamour and the good times that happen at the Lawford Beach home again built by Louis B. Mayer many decades before. But by 1950-1960, Dominic and Lenny and the family are moving into Beverly Hills, into that home on Walden Drive. But again, all connected. By 1959, Marilyn is back at 20th Century Fox, where Dominic Dunn is a producer. The two will have lunch together sometimes. Dunn at this time is producing Adventures in Paradise with Gardner McKay. Go back many episodes ago to listen to that fun connection. But I wanted here to connect Dominic Dunn into the scene. He and his family have firmly landed in Hollywood. And Dunn will see firsthand what is going on with Marilyn at this point in her life. Not only through the workday at 20th Century Fox, but also socially too. Dunn will also see the day-to-day of Peter Lawford as well. Dunn is watching all of the people, all of the scene. This is still the good times. 
about to hit a whole new decade. And when we pick up in our next episode, we're going to be taking a ride through 1960 and 1961 with the misfits and a divorce and a return to Hollywood and, oh yeah, the Rat Pack 2. Marilyn will also begin to transfer her affair a little bit from Jack Kennedy over to Robert Kennedy. Many more Dominic Dunn connections coming into play as well. So much more to come, investigators, on our next Dunn Day. Thank you, everybody, so much for tuning in today, for supporting Dunn and Dunn, for listening, for telling your friends, for the kind reviews and your Patreon support, too. Y'all are simply the best. Until we meet again, friends, stay curious and keep on investigating. Thanks for listening to the Done and Done podcast, a Hemlock Creatives production. You can email us at doneanddone at gmail.com. You can follow us on Instagram at doneanddonepodcast. For further information about our episodes or sources, you can find us online at www.doneanddone.com. See you next week, friends.